We were going to do something funny at the top of this cast, but with everything that's been happening, we've got nothing. Let's get into this. I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Ian Chapler. And I'm Jamie Adams. This is Brainwaves episode 65, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for a week of 25th of January, 2021. Two designers and a fulfillment specialist walk into an internet store. That's it. There's no joke. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. We're going to start off with Jamie with controversy in the world of Kickstarter. Nothing new there, but this one is, uh, I'd say unfortunate, but that's, uh, that's cutting it too short. A Kickstarter for the board game Ping Yao, first Chinese banks, came under fire last week for a video of a content creator that had been used on the page. The video depicted the reviewer in yellow face, with Fu Manchu-style facial hair, squinted eyes, and a symbol on his head. The company running the Kickstarter, on behalf of the developer, has apologised profusely for not vetting the video properly, and it was promptly taken down. Now, possibly as a result of this, there was a lot of discussion, and this led to Daniel Tashini, designer of well-regarded Euro games such as Zolkin, Teotihuacan, and The Voyages of Marco Polo, has revealed to hold some, shall we say, controversial opinions. This was first brought to worldwide attention by Efka from No Pun Included. In responding to a Facebook thread about racial stereotypes in fantasy settings and possibly as a result of the Ping Yao uh, pictures, Toshini effectively claimed not to see colour and admitted to frequently calling his black friends the N-word. Now, Toshini has some form in defending his games, having previously dismissed concerns about his game Tzolkin the Mayan Calendar mixing up aspects of Aztec and Mayan culture. An interview with Italian site Rolling Dice on the 15th of January makes for an interesting read, addressing problems that Toshini has with the push for inclusivity in the board game world, which we invite you to look at, and it will be in the show notes. The current publisher of a lot of Toshini's games, Board, Deck and Dice, were quick to respond, issuing a statement on the 17th of January, saying that they absolutely did not agree with Toshini's point of view, and that although they'd contractual obligations to publish games currently licensed with them, they would not be commissioning any future work from the designer. Hansim Gluck are also dropping Tashini and are making a sizable donation to charity. Their statement reads, Any and all revenues, and that is revenues, not profit, which Hansim Gluck will be receiving for the series, will now be donated to one or more organisations that focus on the topic of racism. It is understood that they will continue publishing games until their contractual obligations with Toshini run out. Ian. It goes on. It continues. Toshini is not the only designer who has recently suffered from foot and mouth disease. Phil Eklund, another well-regarded designer responsible for High Frontier, Pax Pamir, Pax Renaissance, among other games, has recently posted that he believed COVID should not have been classified as a pandemic and that voluntary measures were as effective as government-mandated lockdowns and restrictions. John Manker, lead game designer and one of the owners of Ion Game Design, publishers of many of Eklund's games, responded by distancing himself from Phil Eklund's comments, saying that he had lost family members to the disease. Besme Uyanik, CEO and another one of the owners, issued an apology on behalf of Ion Game Design, and said that future designs would have counterpoint essays to Eklund's writing. Notably, they did not mention whether they would be cutting ties with the designer. Unfortunately, we can no longer link directly to those statements, as they have since been removed from Ion Games' site. 
A new statement is up addressing continued concerns with personal statements, footnotes, and other non-rule text. This statement goes on to say, Rulebooks and living rules will not contain non-rule text, only game rules or factual footnotes. Footnotes will only be included if peer-reviewed by the experts in relevant fields, including sensitivity readers. Rumour is that lawyers involved behind the scenes now and a recent statement by Eklund on a Discord server would seem to back this up. In this statement, he said, I have it in writing from the CEO, Bezume Uyenik, that there will be zero pressure upon my, my employment, my work, and my intellectual property, and my games will be produced under the same standards of excellence as they have been for 40 years. He goes on to take sole responsibility for the opinions in the pieces he has previously written, and bemoans the use of what he calls cancel culture tactics. Eklund has recently updated the statement to strike a more conciliatory tone. We'll link to both in the show notes. Heavy Cardboard also released a statement saying, and we are paraphrasing, that they have commitments to cover some of Iron Game Design's products, and that they are planning to honour those commitments. That they disagree completely with the recent statements by Phil Eklund, and his previous writings, and that their future relationship with Ion Game Design will depend very much on how they handle this. They finish by saying, I believe in learning from past mistakes and giving the opportunity to learn and grow, so that's what I have chosen to do. I understand that not everyone is going to agree with me on this, and that's okay. I can understand and appreciate that. But if we do not give others a chance at redemption, when they have shown a willingness and eagerness to do so, then we eliminate the opportunity to seek that when we ourselves make mistakes. And that's it. Racism week finished. Or not quite. Over to Ian McAllister. Indeed. it's But wait, there's more, isn't it? During the Phil Eklund controversies, a thread popped up on the Heavy Cardboard Facebook page. This involved Phil Eklund musing about cancel culture once again and wondering what unspecified cross I'm being crucified on. We're quoting directly from the, what he said. An exchange happened between Jessica Caste, who is marketing manager for Ion Game Design, and Eklund, where she ended up asking him to stop pushing her for a reply when she was busy, and taking issue with the way she was being spoken to. At this point, in steps our newest hero, Jeff DeBoer. Jeff DeBoer is owner of Fun Again Games, a fulfillment company and board game shop in the States. Jeff admonished Jessica for, and we quote, speaking to the legendary Phil Eklund that way, had a go at her about living with a man out of wedlock, which he said was a joke, and also at having a large family. On top of this, he told her to lighten up and asked if COVID got your goat or something. The response to this from the board game community has been swift and potentially disastrous for a fulfillment specialist like Fun Again Games. Several prominent individuals and companies have said they will not be using Fun Again services ever again. To date, the ones we know about include Rodney Smith of Watch It Played, Parallel Games, World Gig Games, and Braincrack Games in the UK. We'll link to all those in the show notes. We have also seen a reply from Deborah to one of the companies that's parted ways with Fun Again, and it doesn't really seem to address the issues that have caused these companies to leave in the first place. Fun Again Games did release a brief statement on Twitter that read, at Fun Again Games, we condemn discrimination of any kind, be that based upon age, culture, gender identity, gender expression, social status, sexual orientation, religion, race, educational level, disability, mental health, ethnicity, or physical appearance. Some Eagle Eye people notice that this was almost identical to part of the statement released from Iron Game Design, though these are now taken down. You can read into that what you will. 
De Boer himself replied to comments on Facebook distancing himself from Eklund, saying that he had been doing some soul-searching and now understood the criticism of Phil Eklund. Notably, this statement does not defend his criticism of Jessica Cassidy. As of the 21st of this month, Funnigan Games posted a statement on Twitter stating that Jeff DeBurra is stepping down from his position as CEO at the request of the Funnigan employees and relinquishing direct management of operations, client relations and social media accounts effective immediately. There has been no clarification from Funnigan on how this affects DeBurra's ownership of Funnigan Games. Of course, we'll link to that statement in the show notes as well. So, it's been a pretty horrible last sort of week in the world of tabletop gaming you'll have noticed that usually we talk about each piece afterwards we make some comment and talk about it we wanted to talk about all this controversy at once because it's all fairly closely related and now we're going to talk about what we think about the whole situation who wants to go first sure so Notably, Phil Eklund is not receiving this Ferrari over just his COVID post in which he said it's not technically a pandemic. This inspired a couple of people on Twitter to post about the footnotes in Phil Eklund's games, which are a lot worse than most of us had suspected. I've previously avoided his games just because I've heard he's a bit of your usual American yeah, extreme libertarian who has very strange views about economics and people. However, yeah, these Twitter threads really brought to light that the footnotes and historical accuracy and the essays that he publishes in his games are pretty horrendous, including one called, and I kid you not, In Defense of British Colonialism. That's certainly a title. Uh, He's also got a Pax Emancipation game, which is all about how emancipation was led by the religious right. Religious white white people, of course, in the UK, um, according to him. And that the religious right and these great white saviors should be celebrated in this Pax Emancipation game in the history of freeing people from slavery. No comment on who started it in the first place, of course. Wow. Uh, I hope I don't. You don't feel like I'm overstepping the line, but uh, I'd like to say that the giant brain and brainwaves absolutely condemns the actions of those behind the Pingyao Kickstarter, Phil Eklund's and Danielle Tashini's comments, and the misogyny and harassment demonstrated by Jeff DeBoer. I'm just being yes, quite simple do. there. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Now, there's an interesting thing with Eklund because if he's a libertarian, he believes in the free market. And if the free market responds by not wanting to sell your games anymore because your views are abhorrent, welcome to the free market. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> how it's meant to work. One of the other things I'd like to talk about with Eklund is that he mentions the term cancel culture in one of his posts. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. It gives us license to do so. Cancel culture is effectively a construct of right-leaning politics. It's the idea that you are being silenced because of your because you're being silenced because people don't want to listen to you and often these people are doing it from massive platforms newspapers the the floor of the senate and various other political sort of pulpits across the world they think they're being silenced when actually they've got massive massive megaphones talking about their views what is actually happening here is you're not being cancelled just because of who you are you're being cancelled because your views are abhorrent and people don't want to listen to them. 
there was a senator, Senator Hawley, who was one of the senators who voted against uh, the legitimate democratic votes of the American people in the recent Biden confirmations, had a book deal with Simon and & Schuster. And Simon & Schuster cancelled that contract and he immediately started posting about cancel culture and First Amendment rights and that kind of thing. For a start, First Amendment rights don't protect you against companies, protect you against the government. And Simon Schuster's contracts have a morality clause like a lot of publishing contracts, and they chose to exercise it. Welcome to the free market. They didn't want to be associated with you or anything you had to say. And this is exactly what's happening to Tashini and Eklund and Deboer right now. Tabletop gaming culture and community are going, ugh. What? You believe what? Well, we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And there's certain people that have been going after, like F we mentioned that Efka brought the Tashini controversy to light initially. And some people have been going after Efka, who is an excellent critic, a well-respected critic. And you can't go after the messenger on this. Yes, there's an old aphorism that don't shoot the messenger. And there's a reason it's hung around for a long time. It's very true. Yeah. Efka has not ruined Tashini's career. Tashini has. Now there is a lot of, well this has been uh, in some ways tough to talk about, but it's necessary and we need to talk about it. Because Absolutely. the board game community, board game industry, can't shy away from this. They can't say we can't talk about this ever again. We just, we just, we, we've, got, we've got to move on from it. Yes, we've got to move on. We've got to move on and learn from it. Only by doing that and facing the problems that come up will a community and industry be better for it. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. That does require people to learn. And I'm becoming too cynical. But let's move on. But it's good. We need to. Yeah, we're learning from this. Yeah, we'll, of course, be updating this piece very likely over the next month or so. It's extremely likely that more bits and pieces are going to come out over the next little while we'll be updating this piece and if you know of anything and you want to talk to us anonymously or or not if you want to be quoted in pieces please get in touch with anything you know uh, and we can update this piece as as events develop thank again as jamie says thanks very much for sticking with us uh for a very hard top of the cast let's get on to something a little less serious you've got some updates on the Dragonlance saga. I do indeed. On the last cast, we mentioned that the lawsuit between Wizards of the Coast and Dragonlance writers Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman had come to a conclusion at the behest of the plaintiffs, with hints that there was a big announcement to come. That big announcement is here. Amazon now has a placeholder for a Dragonlance novel to be released on the 29th of July this year. Seems all is well that ends well. Thanks to David Wright, head honcho of Tabletop Scotland, for bringing this to our attention on the Giant Brain Discord. Jamie, over to you. Speaking of tabletop conventions. Yes. Now, it may have escaped some people's notice, and despite what some people might say, but there is a global pandemic still going on. And despite vaccines being rolled out across the world, COVID-19 will continue to impact our ability to socialise for at least this year. Optimistically, maybe the last third of the year, last quarter, but realistically, probably this time next year. So a lot of conventions have a question to answer about whether or not they're able to run this year. And the first to be affected publicly is Origins Game Fair. 
So announced on their website, the fair is being moved to September the 30th to October the 3rd, 2021. And that's going to take place in Columbus, Ohio. And very recently, UK Games Expo has announced they are pushing back their show by eight weeks. They're gonna, it's going to take place now over the weekend of the 30th of July to the 1st of August. Now, they are planning two shows, a regular event, and a socially distanced version of the event, which will naturally have to take fewer numbers. Remains to be seen whether or not a digital element is still going to remain. As we pointed out online, this is going to mean that the Nuremberg Toy Fair, UK Games Expo, and Gen Con are currently scheduled for three consecutive weekends. Hope the gaming industry is prepared. That's going to be a huge clash, especially if they all have digital versions and a lot of the same people will be involved in making those digital versions happen. That's a lot of work. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the. I'm going to put my cynic hat back on for a second. Do we think Expo's going to go on at that time? No way. Nah. Like I can, I can start. I can vaguely see maybe like small gatherings being allowed maybe towards the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter of this year, sort of August-September time. But something the size of thousands of people inside? No. I just can't see it. I can't see it happening. I'd love it to happen. I'd love to go to a convention again and see all our friends and like meet people again. But it's just not going to happen, especially with variant new variants and the concerns about those. It's like, yeah. I mean... Us three, we might be able to meet in a cafe that by that time and have a game together. That'd be great. Maybe. But maybe. <laughs> but a convention. No. I just can't see it. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, anytime I'm near you, Ian, I break out in hives. Nothing to do with coronavirus. I've just allergies, you know what I mean. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, funny man, he's probably gonna kill me last. Anyway, I've got to pass over to you, Ian, yeah. Indeed. So we have had a little bit more information about counterfeit games. Now we've talked about counterfeit games before. Mostly they seem to come through Amazon warehouses. Uh, as And as tabletop games have grown in prominence, there's been a growth in counterfeiting of tabletop games, especially like big games like Pandemic. So previously most of the reports have been through Amazon warehouses where what happens is that counterfeit games get lumped into the same area of the warehouse as legitimate copies. And then when you order a copy of Catan, say, a copy just gets taken out of that pile and it may be legitimate, it may be not. It does seem now that illegitimate copies of board games have made their way to another retailer, that's Zavi in the UK, an online retailer of CDs, music and games. Zavi used to have a high street presence in the UK, they bought over a lot of the Virgin megastores. Uh, we came across this story on site, Board Goat, so thank you very much to them for doing some of the legwork on this piece. It's a little worrying to see fakes sort of spreading out to other retailers and it does leave questions to where Zavi are getting their stock from. Are they buying directly through an Amazon retailer of some description? Possible. If you've received a fake game from anywhere, uh, do let it know, especially if it's not Amazon. We'd love to hear about that because it's an interesting thing that's continuing to spread in the community. So yeah, do let us know. Anyway, Ian, uh, card game is very, very old. Yes. So, how many decks of Uno do you think are sold in a minute? Uh, Unfortunately, this answer will surprise neither of my co-hosts, as this is the re-recording of the cast due to my microphone failure. The answer <laughs> is seventeen every minute. I was still, I was still gonna do the. I don't know. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> Very honourable. Yeah, you, just, you, Jamie. Never, yeah. never show them how the sausage is made, Ian. 
It is the 50th anniversary of one of the most recognisable card names in the entire world. Conceived in 1971 in a barbershop in Cincinnati by Merle Robbins, when his friends and family liked the game, he spent $8,000 to get 5,000 copies made. And the rest, as they say, is history. Having seen some of the industry figures, $8,000 for 5,000 copies, even back in 1971, seems pretty decent. Yeah. That seems pretty good, yeah. Yeah. So now, the current owners of the game, Mattel, are pulling out all of the stops for the 50th anniversary of the game. There will be multiple new versions of the game out over the course of the year, including special commemorative editions with new rules and cards. That is not all, though. If you fancy yourself an Uno expert, then why not throw your hat in the ring in the World Championships? A series will be run over the course of the year with a final plan for November 2021, and the grand prize is $50,000. Ooh, boy, that's not messing around money. Absolutely not. Anyway, let's go and have a wee relax in RPG Corner. Anyway, Jamie, as our resident scout expert, I believe you've got some news. Resident scout expert because I'm an ex-scout leader. Yeah. Now, Mm. (laughs) the Scout Association will be 114 years old this year, and they've been doing excellent work throughout the pandemic in engaging their various sections and keeping them going. Now, the Scout Association has partnered with Dungeons & Dragons, who are sponsoring the Entertainers Activity Badge for the Scout section. Now, as well as putting their name on the badge... D&D is also providing 5th edition starter sets for scout groups. They are available as either PDFs or physical copies from the online scout store. There's also some activity ideas on the scout website to engage uh, members of the unit, including collaboratively coming up with a character, collaboratively coming up with a world or a setting, and going on some very simple adventures together. Now, if you're a scout leader or a parent who has children in the scouts, it might be worth uh, checking it out. I think this is awesome. Nope, nothing to say about that, boys. Okay. <laughs> awesome covers it. Yep, covered. Uh, no, no, yeah, it's, it's great. I'd, I'd love to see like the scouts expanding and, and doing this kind of thing and engaging a more sort of creative storytelling side of oh, scout, scouts of, been, of, of scouts, hobbies. Scouts been expanding Brilliant. and creating a very for, for a very long time. It's just you know, cool. It, again, first cast used the word Boba Job Week, and that's just outdated, mate. That's true. Ian, RPGs are to the rescue. Yes, so itch RPG designers have once more got together to raise money for charity. In this instance, the Solo But Not Alone bundle, retailing for about £7.40, benefits Jasper's Game Day. This is a US-based organisation that works towards suicide awareness and prevention. One member of the Peach Garden Games Collective that organised the bundle spoke to Dicebreaker, saying, I have a long history of mental illness, and I was coming out of a year that had been particularly challenging in that regard. So I knew I wanted to support a mental health initiative. I love what Jasper's Game Day do, and wish I had an organisation like that around to promote awareness and education when I was young and vulnerable. The organisation is named for a friend of founder Fanway Jones, who was an avid player of tabletop games and uses game spaces to reach individuals who might otherwise struggle to connect with other people and receive the support they need. It's putting together another great bundle for a good cause, and like I said in my 2021 predictions, I think Itch is going to be a real place where things happen this year and the indie scene really comes to the fore. And uh, looks like that's holding out so far. 
Mr. Shantler, sea shanties have been taking over the world. Time for the tongue twister of the week. Sea shanties have been taking over TikTok and other popular social media since the beginning of the year, it seems, spurred on by the New Zealand folk song, The Wellerman. Combining salty songs and slinging six-siders, One Day the Wellerman Comes is an RPG for three players by Tracy Barnett. Players have their personal stocks of sugar, tea, and rum, and narrate days on a whaling ship heading home, giving their stocks to other players to void duties or hard talk. When a player runs out of supplies, the Wellerman comes back to port and the character leaves. It's available on itch.io, which includes about 14 other variations of the game from Barnet, including having actual supplies of sugar, tea, and rum to be consumed, having sea shanties sung in perfect three-part harmony, and a nod to cast favourite Grant Howard's Honey Heist. It's great. I'd love to find people to play this with. If only you had some place where gamers could come together and arrange games, Jamie. <laughs> oh, you know, funny, I was, I was thinking about that the other day while I was browsing the Giant Brain Discord, and I thought, we've got a Giant Brain Discord. Why don't we use that? We do have a Giant Brain Discord, and you are all very, very welcome to come and chat to us there. The, sta- the team are always there, and we've, we've had great chats about computer games, films and TV, of course, tabletop gaming in there as well, and we've been sharing a lot of sort of the controversial news that's been happening over the last fortnight with the people there and chatting about that. So if you'd just like to get in on a really friendly Discord, please do come along. Uh, link, an invite link will be in the show notes. And while we're here, we'd just like to thank all our patrons for continuing to support us, especially our executive producers, Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe and Sean Newman of the Game A Lot team. There's loads of ways to support us on the site. There's the support us tab on the page that you can go and look at and there's loads of we've got loads of ways to support us various sort of amazon affiliate links on the site and you can also buy dice from metallic dice games who have very kindly partnered with us and if you use the code roll with brains all capital letters all one word at checkout we'll get a little cut and you'll get a discount as well of course links to all this will be in the show notes Anyway, guys, it's been a hard cast, so let's get out of here. Quickly or not? Very quickly, apparently, Jamie. Not so quick. Monopoly. Of course, it's Monopoly news time. Monopoly is 85 this year, as I said last cast. And you'd think, being at that age, venerable age now, although, you know, still lagging behind, still a sprightly youngling compared to things like chess and go, you'd think the game would be slowing down, but oh no. Monopoly Speed promises on the box the game will be over in under 10 minutes. But Jamie, I hear you cry. How is such a thing possible? It's Monopoly legendarily long. Well, each player has their own dice and roll and move simultaneously. There's only four rounds of the game and a timer counts down each round's buying and trading stage. Every property costs the same amount and the board is a slimmed down version of the one we know. So it's a Instead of ten to get from one end to the other, it's only seven or nine. Can never remember which. But uh, yeah, free parking has been replaced with another go space, and getting out of jail is as simple as just getting out of jail free. You don't don't pay anything to get out of jail. But I was thinking about this and uh, got the idea of speed variations of games. Uh, the pace of the game just upped a little bit to provide a bit a bit of tension in a similar way in that uh, popular video game Among Us, there's a hide-and-seek variant, which the game suddenly becomes a lot faster and more tense. Do you guys have any speed variations of games that you've you've, cre- you've thought up or know of? I mean, I-, I can lead if you want. I tend to build a little timer on scroll, because that can la- that can 
drag drag a little bit sometimes especially as in my group you have an actual artist in the group oh. <laughs> that's just that's... cheating that is it is cheating i'd say my I play draw phone and it has like yeah. 30 seconds or 60 seconds and 30 yeah. seconds on draw phone means you get some absolute garbage that is hilarious <laughs> i'd love yeah to i think it. we said I, I think we set it to 60 seconds i think that was just about right um the one i've uh, i'll throw into the ring is speed king of tokyo which is king of tokyo game i love very very much but you only have about 15 seconds to do your turn and that is all dice rolling all card buying anything and you know it's about upping the pace not necessarily making it faster like you want to get over with quicker but it's making those choices quicker and keeping that tension going because yeah it's it's an interesting fun variant and i would recommend trying it yeah, our our friends over at the Smart Party who run an RPG podcast would say there's never such thing as too little pace in an RPG scenario, and I kind of agree with them. It's it. It's not. It's not about speed. It's about keeping that pace, keeping it going, keeping things happening all the time. Which I think is a little undersort of talked about in board game design. Yeah. Speaking of which, I still have vengeance on my. Do I throw this out or do I keep it or sell it pile? After I bought it in September 2019. And I've still yet to play it. It's a real-time dice rolling game, and it looks great. I've played a couple of real-time dice rollers. I'm not entirely sure they always work. Maybe. I think it depends. Willing to give it a shot? Yep. I'd, I'd be up anyway, Jamie, Jamie, talking about games that are legendarily long. Yes. From the online news site Deadline comes this little interesting tidbit. Entertainment One, or E1, which is an entertainment company owned by Hasbro, that's important, has signed a deal with Bo Willimon, who is the creator of the Netflix series House of Cards, uh, to head up development of a TV show based on... That's right, you all guessed it, Risk. With his production company Westward, now, Willeman is described as an avid fan of Risk, which would be interesting. E1 is also working on filmic adaptations of Monopoly, which we mentioned all the way back in episode 21, which is apparently going to involve Kevin Hart. Uh, There's also plans for a filmic adaptation or reworking of Clue slash Cluedo, to which my initial response is, no, leave the original as it is, it's great. It is. It's very, very good. We talked about that in a previous cast. No, it is. I'll 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 always always talk about Cluedo. Cluedo, I'll call it Cluedo. I know it's Cluedo. But yeah, how would you do the Risk TV show, guys? And you can't say I wouldn't. I would film it incredibly intricately, Game of Thrones style. You have leaders, you have everything, and then the writers, in the writer's room itself, they just play a big game of Risk, and they have to write the show to what happens in the dice rolls. Oh, they should make it, they should play Risk Legacy. <laughs> yes, there you go. Show sorted. Yeah. Show, show is written through a game of Risk Legacy. There you go. Yep. Oh dear. Done. Indeed. Hire us Hollywood. Yeah. We'll really do better than the... Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna throw in. I, I'm throwing a lot of hats into the ring, and I don't know how many rings I've got now. But I'm gonna throw a little. I'm gonna steal a little bit from Eddie Izzard's one of Eddie Izzard's comedy teams in which she talks about how to win risk, and it's you know, stay in Australasia and build up and build up and build up because you can't, uh, you know, it's it's a funnel, it's a choke point. You can just build up your troops there and then move in because you can't take Asia. Seven extra men at the beginning of every go, but you can't hold it. Indeed. Never fight a land war in Asia. Exactly. The classic blunder. Or an imaginary land war in Asia, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our website is thegiantbrain.co.uk. You can email us about anything in the show at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. As we mentioned earlier in the cast, we now have a Discord, and we'd love to welcome you in there and chat about games and play them with you. So we hope to see you there. For now, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Strangled pie. <laughs> Definitely keep that.